Hello, church. My name is Jonathan, and we will be now reading today's passage from 1 Peter um, chapter 4, verse 18 through 11. Please follow along in your own Bible or on the screen. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is the reading of God's word. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to True North Church. My name is Jay, and I'm uh, the lead pastor here at True North Church, and I want to welcome you, and so glad that you can join us this Sunday. Um, I, I was a little nervous because I thought that you students were going to stay in service today, and my daughter was going to listen to my sermon, but <laughs> glad. I saw the communion table, I was like, wait, are they supposed to be in here this week? And she's gone now, so I'm not nervous anymore. <laughs> Well, uh, recently I read an article uh, by an author named uh, Mark Dunkelman. Uh, the, author, uh, the, the article title is called The Transformation of American Community. And uh, this is a quote from his uh, article. It says, over the past few decades, technological, social, cultural, and economic changes have revolutionized the structure of American community. Uh, so he goes on to use the rings of Saturn as an analogy of community. Uh, and he says that in, there, there's three rings in community. There's the inner, inner ring, and that's their most intimate relationship. Your, your, your nuclear family, your close friends. Uh, these are the people that would know if you have a sick dog or if your child is struggling with algebra. Uh, farther out is the middle ring, and this represents relationships and community of people who are not as intimate but are regular contacts. Uh, your neighbors that help you bring your trash cans in when you go on vacation or you know, you're able to borrow a cup of sugar from. Um, does anyone, has anyone ever borrowed a cup of sugar from your neighbor? I grew up in the 80s watching like TV shows and they always be like, oh, get, get a cup of sugar from your neighbor. I, that's never happened to me. I'm, I'm, I'm waiting for the day. I bought a whole bag of sugar from Costco <laughs> just in case. Um, anyways, I digress. Uh, you know, coworkers are in that middle ring that you spend about 40 hours a week uh, pre-COVID, right? Um, and even just extended family members. And finally, there's the, the, the outer ring. Uh, this is relationships which are the least intimate. Uh, these are people that you might just have close contact with, uh, people that are intertwined with you based on um, just, uh, just like maybe common interests, people that you might see regularly at the gym, uh, the barista that you always see when you go and order your Starbucks. Um, th these relationships are a lot more transactional. Um, now, the author goes on to explain that in American society, what has deteriorated over the last several decades is the relationship in the middle ring. Uh, that the middle ring relationship, which was oftentimes very vibrant, ha has now almost kind of deteriorated and disappeared. And, and that most of our energy and our time is now focused either in the inner ring or the outer ring relationships. And technology has a big hand in this development, uh, especially with the internet and smartphones, because now it has become a, a lot more accessible for us to relate with the inner ring relationships because of our technology. Or because of technology now, uh, all of our outer ring relationships has been curated by algorithms to just fit exactly what we're interested in. So I'll give it, to give an example, uh, when I was a kid growing up, once I left for school, I would not see my parents or my siblings until I came back home, right? There was no, no connection there. You know, some of my friends, if, if, 
if we're trying to, uh, you know, hang out, like, if, if they didn't pick up their phone and we didn't meet up, like their house phone, landline, then I'm not going to see them that day. Now, because of technology, um, I can, the moment I left my house, I was like, oh, what are the kids doing? So I looked at the Nest Cam and like watching them, you know, like seeing what they're doing. And then even if I'm out of town, what can you do? You FaceTime your family. You're able to connect with them constantly. You're able to, you know, I can even like read a book, not that I've ever done it, but I can read a book for my kids before they go to bed, like on FaceTime. Uh, you know, you're constantly texting your, your, your wife or your, your husband or your boyfriend or girlfriend. Uh, there's just so much more accessibility for us to continue to develop and keep in contact with that inner ring circle relationship. Uh, and because of that, we have no excuse. We're, we're you know, constantly kind of seeing what we're up to. We're constantly checking out on people. We're constantly uh, spending a lot of our time and energy within that inner ring. Also, the outer ring is, is also curated now for us, where all the algorithms of our social media, everything that we ever wanted is just really at the tip of our fingertips. And now we can just easily spend time with people that share the same interests, people that might have a, a, you know, a very similar taste in music or or, or sports, and, and we can develop that relationship without any strings attached. Um, the relationship that has really deteriorated is the middle ring relationships. Especially now, now that you know, a lot of you guys are work from home or just hybrid, even the amount of time that you spend your, with your coworkers is very limited. It's not the way that it was before. And for those that went through college during COVID, like you guys, everything was online. You didn't even, weren't able to even develop relationships with your, with your fellow students. Right? And because of this, what we have seen is that there is a, a void in our life where more and more people are claiming to be lonely and depressed and feel as if they don't have the same support system that they used to or that they thought they would have at this point of their life. And I think this is very important for us to think about and very important for us to discuss because oftentimes when we gather in a community like a church or, or even different organizations, oftentimes what we're thinking about or we're expecting is how can I develop and how can I build community here? And as we're going over our, our, our vision series and our core value series, uh, the core value that I want to talk about today is the idea of building community. And this is what we have in our core values uh, we're building community. We believe true community is built, not found. And we play an important part in this so that we can be, witness, uh, be a witness to those around us. So today, as we talk about the core value of building community, uh, I want to first talk about what it means for us as, as human beings who long for connection and, and relationships. Then we're going to talk about and, and just correct some of the expectations that we have for community, especially in a church, in order to, so that we can build a healthy community. And lastly, we're gonna look at, well, what does the Bible say? How does the Bible describe what biblical community looks like and what is it that we are trying to produce here at True North? So first of all, uh, there is a longing to belong, right? We are, uh, you know, the question that oftentimes is, uh, I think about is, are we created for community or is community, was community created for us? Right? And when, in the beginning, when God created, you know, all things, he looked at, you know, he created Adam. He looked at Adam and he said, it is not good for man to be alone. And he created Eve out of his rib and thus formed the first community group ever, right? This first, first small group, Adam and Eve. There, there you go. And, and the question is, like, well, was it because uh, we're created for community or was community created for us? And when you look at uh, human beings, we are created in the image of God, and God, you know, in, 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 his, in, the, in his Trinity relationship, he was always in community with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
So us being created in his image meant that we are people both created for community and therefore God created community for us so that we are able to live out what it means to be in his, in his image. And even in Jesus' life and his ministry here, we see that he spends a lot of his time in community, in, 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 in both the inner ring, the outer ring, and the middle ring. Uh, even in Jesus' ministry, we see that he has his inner circle, right? He has the 12 disciples. And even within the 12 disciples, he has the three intimate disciples with John, James, and, and, and Peter. And then outside of the 12 disciples, he has the 70 disciples, right? That's kind of the middle ring, the, the disciples that were never named, but we knew that exists. And then he spends a lot of time with the crowd, right? The, 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 the people that are always gathering around him. He is not someone that just focused only upon his, his inner circle. He's not someone that only focused upon the crowd, but he gave an equal distribution of time and energy to all three of those relationships. And for us, the part of our humanity is that we have a deep-rooted desire to be seen and understood by others, especially those who share the same values and interests. This is why it is so important for us as a church to think through what it means for, able, for us as a community to be able to provide this space to the people in our midst. And, and I think this is one of the things that oftentimes is a, a, the question that a lot of us ask, like what type of community exists at this church? Or if you are going around looking for a church to belong to, you ask, oh, is this a community that I want to be a part of? Or is this a community that is going to accept me? Or is there going to be people that I will be able to find where I can fit in and build community with or find community? Right? Um, and, and just because the way we are wired is that we are looking for this type of connection. There's a sense of safety and security in knowing that you belong somewhere and that there are others that love and support you. Now, neurologists have found that the way that our brain experiences physical pain is similar to how our brain experiences social pain. Right? So the, though it, it, the way we experience these pains is not identical, there is an overlap in the neurological pathways that these pains are experienced. And this suggests that for our survival, our brains see the dangers to our physical bodies as similar to dangers to our social condition. It's, it's, it's as if, you know, being in a car accident is just as detrimental to someone uh, as someone who loses their entire social network. That's how important community is to us. That's how we are wired to, to you know, be in community, to relate to others, to connect to others. Now, for myself personally, um, you know, kind of thinking about community and just even the way I'm wired, I, I realized um, that an experience that probably, uh, ex you know, um, affected me a lot more than I realized was me when I immigrated from Korea to the United States. Uh, when I lived in Korea, um, you know, my, my, my mom has like five siblings and like they all have like three kids. So, you know, we have so many cousins. My dad has three siblings and they all have three kids. Like, you know, and I just remember being around cousins and family my entire time in Korea. Uh, and like, and, and my, my mom's sisters, they all look like her. So it was like as if I had like four moms, you know. And my dad's brothers, they all look like him. I remember when I was like three years old, my, my, one of my uncles came and visited, and I thought it was my dad, so I ran and hugged him, and I was like, wait, that's not my dad, and I started crying, right? That's how similar they looked. Um, and I'm not being racist either. Uh, they're just, I don't know why I said that, but anyways, <laughs> moving on, right? And so, I, you know, I felt very close with all my family. And then when I moved to the United States, I had no family now, no, no cousins, 
And not only that, you know, I, I didn't speak the language. I didn't know the culture. Uh, I didn't feel like I fit in. And, uh, you know, and just right when I started thinking about, you know, getting kind of plugged in and getting to know people, our family moved to another part, you know, to another city about 30 minutes away. And there I really didn't feel like I fit in. You know, and, and even as a third grader, the, the, the feeling that I had was, oh, everyone here already knows each other. And I am like the new guy and I don't know anybody, Right? Uh, even though they probably felt the same way too, right? And so from that, there was always this desire or a sense of like, uh, I don't know where I belong and how can I find a community where I feel like I can fit in, where I can feel like I'm accepted, where people share the same values and similar interests. And, you know, just throughout my entire childhood, I'm kind of looking for that. And it wasn't until I started really getting involved in, in my church youth group. And at that point, it was like, you find people who have similar interests, you find people who have a similar set of values, and for us, it was our faith in Jesus. And, uh, you know, and then you start doing things together, right? Uh, you, you know, the, the greatest memories I have are, are going to bonfires with my church youth group or you know, going eat in and out after church or going to Denny's. You know, and like, you, you have these feelings. And even in college, I got involved in the campus ministry, and I felt like oh, you know, like we were all just like one big happy family. We all knew each other. We all lived in the same apartment complex. Our doors were always open, and you kind of go in and out from different apartments, and, and you felt a sense of community there. And the moment that you gra I graduated, and I tried to get involved in a new church, even though I was an uh, intern pastor, I was like, I don't know any of these people, and I don't feel like I, I fit in here at all. And the reality is, is that what I experienced in youth group and in college was kind of like not real life. And if you grew up as a Christian and you were involved in, in church in your youth group or in, college, in some sort of college ministry, you know that that experience is not like really real, right? Once you graduate, it's like you're in the real world now and it's very difficult to find connection and to find relationships and to find community outside of what you experienced when you were younger. And, and I think a lot of us, we all have some sort of that kind of feeling this desire to want to belong, this desire to want to connect, and then we look around and, and we look on our social media apps and we see our, the stories of people and we think, oh, all those people have it except for me. Everyone has close relationships or everyone has community except for me. And we wonder, like, why? And we want that. And I think that's the reality of where we are today. We are a, a group of people who want to belong, who desire to connect, and maybe we're searching for that, but maybe we're not doing it in the correct way. Or maybe we're not even understanding exactly what it is that we want. Maybe the definition of community for us is very different from the definition of community for the person sitting next to you. And so in order for us to understand what community is and what it is that we're building, we have to first understand that we have very unhealthy expectations or unrealistic expectations of what community is within a church. So now here in 1 Peter chapter 4, um, he, he's writing this letter and basically he's giving it a, you know, he's saying like, hey, the world's ending, so this is what I want you to focus on. All right, so then verse 7, verse 7 he says, the end of all things at hand, therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. So he gives two commands, to be self-controlled and sober-minded. Uh, to be self-controlled, another word is, is to be sane. He's saying don't be insane, don't be crazy. Right? Basically, someone who is crazy or someone who is not self-controlled is someone who does not think in a level-headed way about themselves and, and often sees themselves more exalted than they actually are. 
So um, this command, it, it kind of fits all of us, right? Peter is like basically, hey, guys, be self-controlled. Have the correct understanding and view of who you actually are. Do not think too highly of yourself. And then he says, be sober-minded. It literally means don't be drunk. But in this sense, the figuratively, what he's saying is be alert and clear by not being bogged down by worldly thinking. Okay? Be, be alert. He's saying don't be uh, you know, changed or, or moved around by what the world tells you is correct. You have to be sober-minded and understand that there are things that we hear and that we believe that may not be true. There are things that we actually feel that also feel real, but it may not be based on truth either. And in order for us to understand what it means for us to actually have a healthy community, we have to be self-controlled, meaning having a clear understanding of who we are and what we're not, and we have to be sober-minded, not being pushed and shoved by the worldly ideas that this world offers. And the reason why this is very important is that we have unrealistic expectations about community and what it should look like when we are not self-controlled when we think much more highly of ourselves, when we are not sober-minded, meaning that we, we are carried away by what the world tells us is true. And so what are some of these unhealthy expectations that we have about community in the church? And, and here's the thing, it's, it's mainly uh, what we believe about the church, okay? Especially if you are a Christian or if you believe a certain thing about how Christians should act, uh, we have this expectation that Christians should cater to us, right? I, I mean, because we're all kind of self-centered human beings, and, and we have that idea with that expectation. Um, so I call it the, uh, the Cheers community, and I'm really dating myself here. There's a show a long time ago called Cheers. Okay? It's about a bunch of people who just hung out at a bar, and the intro song is, where everybody knows your name, okay? That's, that's the only part I know that song. And, and they're glad you came. You know, basically, this idea is, um, watch that show. This idea is that oftentimes when we go to church, we desire a place where everyone knows your name, where everyone's glad that you came. But you come here and oftentimes feel like a complete, complete stranger to people. And you wonder, like, are these just random faces? And, 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 and sometimes we feel kind of discouraged by that. Especially, the majority of us here, probably, if you grew up in a church, probably grew up in a church smaller than this. If it was bigger than this, you probably grew up in a youth group that was smaller than this. So you kind of, you may not, not have known every adult in the ministry, but you knew every youth group member in the ministry. You knew everyone who was a grade above you, grade below you, whatever. And you knew, and it felt like one big happy family. And so the unhealthy expectation that we have for a church and a church community is that we want to replicate that. We want church to be one big happy family where everyone knows everybody, everyone you know, can, can relate to everybody and that you can kind of just hang out with people whenever possible and it's just like, you know, like, hey, we're just like this weird commune, right? If you really think about it, it sounds a little weird, but that's kind of the expectations that we have. Uh, Robin Dunbar, he was a br British anthropologist. He came up with this thing called Dunbar's number. Pastor Eugene sent me this article. It was uh, interesting because uh, he says that an average person can maintain up to 150 contacts. Any more than that, you have to kind of let go of other people. Like 150 is the max. I'm like, 150 seems like a lot, you know? But um, every church that I was at prior to this, uh, we got to about 150 people and we could never pass that barrier. 
Why? Because after that, you start not knowing people. Uh, at, at the two previous churches I was at, we literally 150 people. Church before that, 150 people. And, and as an associate pastor, I literally knew everyone's name. Okay? And, and that's just because that was my job. Every time we got to a place where we were trying to creep a little bit above 150 people, things would get, things would get crazy and, and people, people would just like leave. It was, it was really random. Okay? And this is what he says. Uh, it, according to his theory, he says the tightest circle may just have five people. That's probably like your nuclear family. Um, followed by the next layer, which is 15 good friends. And then after that, 50 friends. And then after that, 150 meaningful contacts. And then he goes on and says 500 acquaintances, 1,500 people you can recognize. Right? And he says people migrate in and out of these layers, but the idea is that the space has to be carved out for any new entry people to come in. And so when you think about just our, con our, our context here, um, you know, we are a church of, you know, if you count all the students, over 200-something people. Uh, we, are, we cannot be a church where we're one big happy family. And if that is an expectation that you have, then you will be completely frustrated and disappointed. Completely frustrated and disappointed. Next, we have an expectation that our deepest, most intimate relationships will be formed in the church. Um, this can happen. Will it happen to everybody? No. No. And, and let's be absolutely real here. That's on you guys. Okay? And that's the context of our lives. Barna describes a regular attendee of a church as someone who goes to church one time a month. Okay? That's... 12 times a year, right? And some of you guys, barely meeting that quota, right? On average, I mean, there's like, there's some people who are here like 51 times a year, okay? And I'm not gonna point them out, besides me, obviously. Um, and then, but if I have to say like our church on average, like a, a regular attendees, probably someone that comes about 24 times a year, okay? 24 times a year. And then if you are part of a community group, our community group meets nine months out of the year, and out of those nine months, you meet three times a month. That's 27 times. And if you are a, 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 someone who is committed to community group, you'll probably go 20 times a year, right? So 20 times a year plus 20, 24 times a year on Sundays, that's 44, 44 points of contact that you have, right? And one hour here, one hour community group, what is that? 44 hours a year that you have with people and that's only if the person that you are in contact with goes every Sunday that you go and goes to community group with you every time you go. So you're saying that you can spend 44 hours a year in the midst of somebody and you expect that person to be one of your most intimate people in your lives? That's nowhere else besides the church do we place that sort of expectation on people. Nowhere else. Now, are, is there an opportunity where just because, you know, you guys click and you guys hang out, out in other places, like you start developing intimate relationships? Of course. And does that happen and can that happen? Absolutely. And the reality is, is oftentimes, if you're the person that doesn't have that, instead of being happy for the people that have it, you get jealous. And you say, this church does not have community. This church is too clicky. This church is too divided. At a church our size, I want clicks. 
Why? Because that means people are relating with one another. Like, obviously, if we were a church of 30 people and we had, like, three clicks, that's a, that's a major issue, right? But at a church our size, are we able to develop intimate, deep relationships? Yes, but it, only if you put the effort into it. If you are doing the bare minimum, and, and I'll say this, the bare minimum is someone who goes to church regularly and it was part of a community group, that's all you do. If that's the bare minimum that you're putting in and you expect someone to uh, arise and become your best friend forever, Unrealistic expectation. Another unrealistic expectation we have is that we expect people to make the first move or we expect people to reciprocate our actions. Okay. Um, no one here is going to make the first move. Why? Because we're techies and, uh, you know, we'd rather, we'd rather not make the first move, you know? And it's kind of like, it, it, it's kind of like not cool to make the first move, right? Like, you really got to put yourself out there, you know? Like, um, maybe drop into someone's DM, right? Like, uh, you know, one of, um, I played golf this weekend, and someone's like, hey, we need to invite this guy to golf. And then we're like, how do you ask him? We don't even know him. Like, oh, just, I found his Instagram. Just drop into his DM. You know, that's like, it's a weird, weird time that we live in, right? Um, but yeah, you know, we, we sometimes don't expect people, we expect others to make the first move on our behalf, and yet we're unwilling to do so for others, right? Or we think that uh, one gesture uh, allows us to have an expectation that they need to reciprocate that one gesture. It takes time. It takes energy, and it takes effort. I use this analogy all the time. I've been here almost 10 years now, and some of the people here have been here with me for 10 years, and I just feel like we're just scratching the surface. And yet, what we expect are, are you know, internet relationships that blossom in an instant, that you know, work right away, and that we'll just be uh, best friends forever and have like, awesome relationships here. Or you, the majority of us, right, you expect just to be left alone. You expect that you can just come, listen to a sermon, say hi to a few people, not really get that deep, and then be out of here and be like, that's all, that's all I need, that's all I want. Okay? Uh, that's not real community then either. If, if that's kind of where you're at, I'm not saying like, stop coming, but if that's all you're expecting, then you'll also you know, get frustrated because community is much more than that. Community is much more than that. So now, having realistic expectations and a clear definition of what biblical community looks like will help us build community here at True North. So this is what I want to do for us, give a very practical application. First, I want to give us a biblical uh, reasons why it needs to be this way, and then I want to give a very practical picture of what biblical community we're trying to produce here at True North. So first and foremost, biblical community is made up of a relationship uh, in the middle ring, where everyone is striving to love one another for the glory of God, okay? So, you know, the analogy that I gave before, uh, we, we are not trying to create inner ring relationships here. Most of your inner ring relationships are your family, uh, your spouse, your children, and maybe some close friends that you knew since you were in third grade, all right? That's, that's the reality of it. Um, your outer rings, we all have outer rings, right? 
the people that you see at the gym, the people that you run into at, 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 you know, at, at Starbucks, um, we all have that. People that you might play golf with, they might just be acquaintances, right? What's missing is the middle ring relationships that somehow deteriorated in American society. And one of the best ways that we can develop these middle ring relationships is through the community here at church. It's, it's, it's a relationship that is a lot more uh, intentional, a relationship that re- it requires the same values and, and similar interests, and also relationships that actually requires sacrifice and discomfort. And, and this is what we're trying to develop. So first and foremost, the foundation of biblical community is our relationship with God through prayer. And the foundation of our relation, biblical community is that we must first have a relationship with God, and oftentimes that is through prayer. So verse 7, Apostle Peter says, the, the end of all things is at hand, therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Uh, one of the things that I think oftentimes um, we fail to really realize is that the absence of relationship with God is what really leads to a dysfunctional relationship with our community. When you think about all the uh, drama if you've ever had drama at church or the relational strife at church, when you think about what causes relational strife and drama at church is oftentimes because one or both parties is not really having an intimate, deep relationship with Jesus. I mean, it's just, you know, we might be churchgoers, but the lack of relationship with Jesus is very clear. Our, our love for God and our communion with him is what will allow us to live as his, as his disciples and love one another. Now, John chapter 13, verse 35 says this, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And I used to read it in just one way. I used to think, oh, in order for me to prove that I'm Jesus' disciple, I need to love others. But I, I think the, the opposite is, is even more true, is that the more you are a disciple of Jesus, you will be able and empowered to love others. Because what is the hardest thing to do? Love people. Why? Because we're people, right? We, we, you know, like, peop- like people are, are very difficult. We are messy. We are selfish. We are, we are very uh, entitled. We, we, are, we are very complicated. And, and, and our relationship and, and, our, and our communion with God is what enables us to go and love others. And that happens through prayer. Think about, okay, and I'm not here just to, uh, um, like, you know, make light of my situation or anything like that, but, you know, working with people is, is I'd rather work with computers, you know, right? I think that's why, you know, I, 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 I would be so jealous of tech workers. I'd be like, oh, I just want to just, you know, just like, you know, you know like, all oh, zero one 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 zero zero one, you know, like, just, like, how awesome would that be, right? And then just come home and be like, all right, I'm just, I'm just chilling, you know? Um, if you've ever worked in the service industry, like if you were a waiter, a waitress, serve, you know, or any, like, people suck, right? One time I was at Starbucks, and then uh, this old guy was ordering a coffee, and then the, the barista's like, what can, I get for you? what can I get for you, boss? And he's like, boss, let me talk to your man. I was like, I was like what's going on, right? Like, so, anyways, I, I don't know why I told that story, but, you know, like, people can be very difficult, Right? And yet, um, when you think about how we are able to love others is when we have true communion with God and we are able to, in a sober-minded, self-controlled way, understand and realize that the only way that God could love someone like us 
is purely by his grace. And if you can love a broken person like me, then that will empower me to reciprocate that love to the people around me. If I'm trying to love others to prove my discipleship to Jesus, I'm, my, my fuel is gonna run out. But if I love Jesus and I commune with him, then it will empower me to love the people around me. So without that foundation, a biblical community cannot stand. If a, biblical com- if a church community is based on just, you know, do you like sports? Uh, do, do you like uh, you know, playing board games? Uh, do you like eating food? And do you like watching movies? Like, what shows do you like? You know, like, if it's all based on that, eventually it'll crumble. But if it's founded upon a true and deep love for Jesus, then that will, will empower us to love others when it's difficult. And then it goes on and says, in verse eight, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. So the command is to love others. Right? And here's the thing, Apostle Peter, he's, he's talking about the end, when Jesus is going to return, basically at the end of all times. And he says, in the midst of the end of all times, I want you to earnestly love one another. Because loving one another means that you will cover a multitude of sins. It, meaning this is, this is the reflection of the gospel that we've experienced in our own lives. That Jesus would cover the multitude of our sins and still love us. And now what we can do is share that love to the people around us by not just, you know, not, not forgetting their sins, but overlooking their sin as God has overlooked our sins. In the same way that he looks down at every single one of us and sees his own child, that we will be able to look at the people around us and see our brothers and sisters in Christ. And without that foundation and relationship with Jesus, we will be unable to have that sort of love with the people around us. Then he gives very uh, practical uh, applications. He talks about biblical uh, hospitality, right? He says in verse nine, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. And now we have to understand the hospitality in this early church age was very specific to traveling Christians. Christians who were not part of the local body would be offered housing and food by fellow Christians of the city that they were traveling through. So back in the, you know, this time in the Roman Empire, it's not like they had you know, Roman Empire Airbnb where you can like, oh, I'm gonna go to Ephesus and uh, so I'm gonna book a hotel here. No, you know, they didn't even have hotels really. It was like kind of unsafe. So if you are someone that's traveling from one city to another, um, it, it was a dangerous thing. Like even Apostle Paul, I mean, he, would, he got robbed, he got shipwrecked. I mean, those are all these things that would happen. So what Christians did when they knew that other Christians were traveling through their town, they were called to be hospitable that they would open up their home, that they would bring in this person that they've never met before and provide them with housing, with food, with resources, and a support and safety that they would not have otherwise. Now, different context for us, right? We don't have someone from Texas just traveling around and like, hey, I'm a Christian, can I stay at your place? We don't have that, right? But what we do have is the ability to be hospitable to one another. In in the sense that what is being asked of of the people here in in, in this letter is to sacrifice, to let go of your comfort, to share your resources, and to share the thing that maybe is most most important to you. And for the people here in, in, in this letter, it's not like they had abundance. There were people living day to day, paycheck to paycheck. 
and, and having another mouth to feed would be absolutely de uh, de you know, devastating to their income and to their way of life. And yet they were called to do so without grumbling. And yet the very moment that someone inconveniences us, how annoyed do we get? And it might be just me projecting, right? But think about it. Like, if someone doesn't show up to community group, if you're a community group leader, if someone doesn't show up to your community group, like, you get so upset, right? It's so annoying, right? Or if someone inconveniences you by saying that they're going to show up to a restaurant at a certain time and they don't, so now your table can't be seated until everyone is there, like, how annoying is that, right? I mean, there's so many things that we get annoyed at, and yet we are unable to be absolutely hospitable to provide a sense of support and safety to people who might be going through things that we may not even know. And I think that's the beauty of a, of a biblical community, is that every single one of us, we have things that we're going through that we may not be willing or able to share at this very moment. But the simplest gesture of someone opening up their home to you, or the simplest gesture of saying, hey, you wanna grab some coffee, or, or just even something simple as, hey, like, how are you doing? Like, let me, is it okay if I pray for you? Just those simple moments of being hospitable to somebody can make the world of a difference in someone being able to feel safe and secure and supported when they need it most. Then uh, he goes on and says to serve one another. Uh, Peter moves to a very specific command to, to, from hospitality to a very general one to serve one another. And I think we talked about that in last week's passage. Being able to use our gifts for the glory of God and the, the benefit of others is something that is very important for us. And so moving on, just very practically, what are we trying to build? What are we trying to build here at True North? We are not trying to build a place where you can find lifelong best friends forever, okay? People that you can go on trips with, with families, and your kids grow up together and, and like have ultimate memories. If that happens, great, okay? If that happens, awesome. What we're trying to build is a group of people who have same values, their same faith, same, same interest of, of making Jesus known in this area to be able to love one another on an intimate level in the way that the Bible commands us, to share one another's burdens, to pray for one another, to, to overlook our sinfulness, to be able to gracious, be gracious with one another when we are gonna you know, act like humans, Right? And it's this middle ring relationship that we need to develop. It's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to take our sacrifice. It's going to take uh, many hours of time spent together. And that is our goal. Now, moving on, we're going to continue on our service with the, uh, the Lord's Supper and Communion. Um, and I've told this story last time, but uh, I think this is such a great way for us to describe what communion is. Um, when a Hebrew boy uh, wants to marry a Hebrew girl, they will negotiate the bride price. Uh, they will sit the girl down in front of the entire family, and the boy will offer her a cup of wine saying, this is my covenant to you, take and drink. The girl, if the girl drinks of it, uh, it's like saying, I do. She's accepting that proposal. Um, the girl will go off to her home, and the boy will go back to his father's house and build additional rooms uh, for, for his family. Uh, they are not allowed to see each other, uh, during this time, but the boy would be able to send his best man to communicate to her on his behalf. And at one point, the father will look at the son and say, son, you are done building. Go gather your groomsmen, bring your bride, and we will feast. Now, Jesus, at the Last Supper, he takes his disciples. 
he sat them down in a room with a cup of wine and he says, this is my covenant. Will you take and drink? He says, I'm gonna go and prepare a room at my father's house. There are many rooms, but don't worry, I will not leave you alone for I will send my best man, the Holy Spirit, to communicate to you on my behalf. And at some point, God the Father will look at Jesus and he will say, okay, son, go get your bride. He will gather up the angels, blow the ram's horn, and he will come and get his bride. When we take communion, we are not just merely doing an act of remembrance. And this is definitely not a funeral. It is a reminder that we have been bought with a price. We are the bride of Christ. Jesus is, is preparing the rooms for us. And one day he will return to receive his bride. So as we in, uh, take upon the, the Lord's Supper together, the, the bread and the wine or the bread and the juice, this is a, a way uh, to commemorate that we have been bought, that we are connected to Jesus who is our groom.